The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. What's up, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 136 of the Golden Mike Podcast. As always, I am the noise, the Nordano, the Mano. Let's get it, people. It's time now for your bi-monthly dose of audio sunshine. Kneeboard Mania 2020 continues as we bring you part two of our two-part podcast series that focuses on all things kneeboarding. Last episode, we had two of the top kneeboarders on the planet, Tom Cole and John Hale. They were on and they talked all about their love for the sport. And this time, my guest is none other than legendary kneeboarding pioneer Teddy B, Ted Bevilacqua. We recorded this at his house and in his boat, and as always, I'm excited for you all to hear my conversation with Ted. He's lived an amazing life, he's a humble dude, and he's got a great story to tell. But before we get into all of that, you guys know I do try to provide you with quality content on a bi-weekly basis and ask for nothing in return. But if you ever wanted to hook me up and give a little something back, you could always help this podcast gain exposure. Please listen to and share the Golden Mike podcast on places like SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. iTunes and Apple Podcasts, while you're there, feel free to leave a five-star review if you haven't already. You can also listen to all the episodes on my website, noiseofthenorth.com, and share them that way if you would as well. If you're active on social media, you can follow or like the Golden Mike podcast on Facebook and follow me personally on Instagram at Dano T. Mano. The Twitter feed is at the Golden underscore Mike. Check them out. Okay, so before we do get to our interview with Ted Bevilacqua, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about him. It goes without saying that he's one of the best ever to put his knees on a board. He started competing in 1982 and became ingrained in the industry ever since. This man's story is truly inspiring to say the least. He's done everything there is from athlete to board designer to entrepreneur and all out of his sheer love for the sport. And the amount of passion and enthusiasm he has for the sport made me want to grab the nearest kneeboard and get out on the water. And if you guys find yourself just as inspired as I was after listening to my conversation with Ted, I suggest all of you amateur and professional fun havers head over to O'Brien.com and peruse their selection of kneeboards. If you're on the market for something else, 
Also, they have a wide variety of wakeboards, water skis, tubes, and basically anything you can tie behind a boat. They even have the ropes to help you with that. For a full look at their product catalog, check out their website. And by there, I'm talking about O'Brien. While you're there, find a local dealer and stay up to date with the latest O'Brien news online. The website, again, is O'Brien.com. O-B-R-I-E-N.com. Check them out today. And now let's get on to our interview. It's Teddy B, baby. Let's hear it. It's Ted Bevilacqua right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. It's kneeboard mania, baby. Teddy B, Ted Bevilacqua. What's up? Welcome to the podcast, Ted. Hey, thanks for having me here. Feel honored. Where are you actually originally from and where and when did you start riding? Well, originally from Palm Beach, Florida, right there on the intercoastal. Didn't have a, a ski site. Didn't have ski boats back then. Uh, we were just just uh, spending time, summer times, uh, looking to do something on the water. I mean, it's um, originally surfing was my big, well, sur- still is surfing in the ocean is my number one love. And if uh, anyone listening out there from Florida knows that there's not much surf in Florida in the summer times. So um, having a family boat, we were doing uh, mostly diving and fishing uh, skiing just just natural just to come you know in line with that so uh, i started out actually as a slalom skier like competitive or just like no, recreational just recreational throwing water back then was the main focus was you know is how much how, how big is your spray kind of grew up as a, a recreational skier were you ever involved in any tournaments or anything like that no grew up just recreationally just uh going out spending days on the water and how um, and when were you introduced to kneeboarding? Uh, this is back in high school. Uh, I was my, one of my ski buddies ski all the time with Brad Suter. He was a kneeboarder. I was the slalom skier, and we would always have this rift between each other: which one was better, you know, on the ski, on the board. And um, probably tenth, uh, eleventh grade, I had a just a brutal slalom ski crash uh and i tell us about it i thought i was i thought i was paralyzed no way so like what happened uh real deep turn cut try thought i would pull out of it if i just kept pulling and just went out the front and connected with the the wake straight on just stuffed the wake do you remember what you were skiing on at those in that time uh, back then uh i mean my ep the old ep super two uh and and i couldn't feel my legs, my arms, and I was just, I was, I was starting to panic. And right about then, uh, the boat driver, I think it was Hank Crofts, came around and we had eye contact and he could see I was scared. Um, and about that same time, I started feeling my hands and feet. and Kind of like a stinger. It was, it was, both, both physically and mentally because I couldn't get back on my ski. No way. And I was just scared of it then after that and thought I would slow down and get on the kneeboard. You know, my buddy Brad was, you know, happy about that. But uh, from then on, I just started kneeboarding and into my college years, started kneeboarding. And it wasn't uh, some second year in college is when I was, I went right on the ski club because uh, that's, you know, they had the boat. Collegiate ski club? Yes. At what school? USF in Tampa. And um, someone go from, Bulls. That's right, go Bulls. Someone came up to me with a, a 
Xerox copy of a tournament going on in Orlando. And this was in 82, I believe, 81, 82, 82. And uh, went over to Orlando, and uh, that was my first competition. And it was the IKA, International Kneeboard Association. And that back then they had three events, the wake jumping, which was more like wake slalom, how many times you could cross the wake in 20 seconds. Uh, and then of course tricks, and then it was uh, slalom, no, yeah. No, wake jump, slalom, and tricks. So how was kneeboarding perceived in like, you know, late 70s, early 80s? Uh, I don't know, I just hung out with kneeboarders. I, so was yeah. there any, you know how there's, well, I don't think it's there anymore, but you know how at the time there was that animosity between the wakeboarders and the water skiers, you know, and, and I don't know, I feel like even, at, I don't really ever remember actually there ever being any kind of animosities with, with kneeboarders at the lake, but that, you know, well, I, you know, you know, thinking back there, there were, you know, it's, it's always been one group felt like they were cooler than the others, you know, the barefooters thought they were, they were hardcore, the slalom skiers, so that they, they were, you know, you know, so I guess it's the different groups of people. You know, it depends on who you're hanging out with. Um, I know back in the early days of Okahili, we weren't, or we weren't as kneeboarders, weren't allowed to go on, into Okahili. And Okahili is a uh, county-run park down in West Palm Beach. Right. Um, specifically designed for water skiing. They have five courses, slalom courses. And at the at the time, we weren't allowed to go on there, and we. Um, me and my uh, group of buddies were had to go to the county and say, you know, we are sanctioned by the same association with the same rules, same boat, boat length, uh, rope length, and everything, and we had to fight our way on to that water. So, you know, thinking about were there animosity between the groups, I, I guess they were, but I just never really paid much attention to it. Were you guys trying to kind of follow what water skiing was doing, or did you, or did you have that attitude like wakeboarding did, you know, in the in the mid '90s, you know, where it was like, hey, we are completely different, and we are coming up with our own rules. Well, with IKA, it was very close to the the rules of water skiing, and I'd have to say the AKA as well. Um, because with that popularity and with that, you know, more and more contests, more and more people doing it, uh, the realistic side of it, like insurance, getting insurance mm -hmm. policies and, and, you know, those kind of logistics, when you're talking about big events, uh, you had to have an organization. Maybe kind of easier to ride off the coattails of what was already set in place at that time. Yes. So with the American Kneeboard Association and teaming up with the AWSA at the time just made sense on the on many levels of, of organizing events and such. And and it, it was an explosive time in both uh, product development, uh, tricks that were being invented, um, exposure, and, and talking about exposure, wow, what a different age that was. You, know, you only had one channel on the TV you know, uh, with sun sports coming on, now you had two choices of sports, and that was it. So it's a whole different time, you know, being uh, a, an athlete back then versus in today's world with the internet 
and all the social media and everything that happens lightning fast. Did the exposure that you guys were seeing like through TV, um, did that, how, how much did that help kneeboarding? Because kind of going back to your point there, okay, well, first of all, I look at kneeboarding compared to water skiing. This is, and it's not a knock on, on any you kneeboarders at all, but like it's easy. Er, you know, you can lay on your stomach, you can hang on to the handle on your stomach, you know, it, 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 I, I would assume this, like, once the introduction of the kneeboard happened, it probably opened up Toad Water Sports to so many more people. Absolutely, and that was one of the greatest advantages kneeboarding had, was because it's so easy to get into, and it's such a great stepping stone to learn other disciplines of water skiing, and that is a huge advantage, yes, you you don't have to have a, a ski boat uh, to pull a, you know, I I started out kneeboarding behind a little 13-foot dory with a 25 on there. Right. You know, and that was, that was fine, you know, back then. We were back in canals. We'd go in the freshwater canals and, and scoot along in just teeny, teeny tiny boats, and it was great. Ted, how uh, long was kneeboarding around before you actually got involved with it? I believe 77, mid 70s, later 70s and, and, with the glide slide and then, and who the, do then you the hydro slide. The, um, who do you personally credit the like invention of kneeboarding to? As I understand it, Southern California with Tony Cleric and uh, Mike Murphy, those guys uh, coming up with the glide slide. And, and I forget what they, they called it, knee sled, glide slide. Uh, I think that's where it first and, originated. And what did you, and what was like the first kneeboard you For rode? me, it was a hydroslide, and it was the original flat bottom hydroslide. Okay, so from that board, when was the first time, from the first board you rode? Because you obviously, this you're, you're getting involved in pioneer days, early days of the sport. So when, when was the first time you started seeing some of the... Um, the changes like in equipment, the evolution of the equipment, and maybe what were some of those changes? So in the late 70s, early 80s, um, and this is before competition because everything happened for me 82 on when it came to the exposure and things just started getting crazy for me. Uh, before that, um, I'd always adjust my strap. I'd always make more Velcro. I'd steal Velcro off of uh, my bathing suits and wherever I could. I had an old guitar strap at one point as a double strap and, and always modifying to make it work for me. Um, in Back in those days, all the equipment were all designed by water skiers. So they weren't really kneeboard friendly. And us kneeboarders needed you know, better pads, needed better straps. And so I took it upon myself because I was extremely skinny and tiny back then my legs weren't even close to where the velcro was positioned on right. those straps i'd make my own straps back then um in 82 when, when i started jumping into competitions and starting uh, that whole scene um you know the first year few contests you know it, my strap was definitely stood out because it was a collage of different colors and and different materials all sewn together with fishing string and it was it was, it was a they were a mess uh, until one competition it actually ripped when the seams ripped right so my brother took me out and said we're, we're gonna we're gonna get you some real material so we went out and got 
nylon rolls of Velcro and actually built the first double strap legit. And he said, why don't you just build five? You know, if you're building one, why not build five? Early in your career, I mean, you're already putting your foot into the door industry-wise. I mean, that's kind of like uh, foreshadowing what's to come for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I was, I was definitely chasing the dream. My big, my, my big dream was I wanted to design a kneeboard, a true kneeboard, not a kneeboard that was designed by a water skier, but a, a kneeboard that was designed by a kneeboarder. You know, that was my main focus. And um, the strap thing, I just, it just grew, it just grew organically. Now, um, is that something that you patent or is that something that's that just uh, so kind of like patents are really, basic, really or? hard to, hard to, 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 to do in, in, in something, something like that. You mm -hmm. know, you could always change a, a, measurement here or some measurement there it would be hard to but you can uh trademark and register and i knew if i just got my stuff out quick enough that it would be the brand name uh, so i just concentrated on just taking you know market share when i could because so i knew when numbers came i knew other companies would see it and they would come in and they'd start building how old are you at this time with this business mind uh this is you know freshman in college yeah interesting interest okay so so you're already in the business now um and and obviously this is like kind of pre before you're you're working for any like major brands or anything so did did somebody end up buying your technology or what what ended up happening with the company in general um it was i believe it was 92 i believe yeah it was 92 end of 92 pro tour and now I've been in business for about a decade. And now keep in mind, this is a seasonal business. Water skiing is a seasonal business. So during the winter time, spring, you don't have much strap sales. And I've, I brought my, my product line as, as wide as I could go. I, I had a line of straps, I had pads, uh, then all the other stuff that goes along with it with t-shirts and sweatpants and all that stuff uh, produce a video so I, I there wasn't much more I could do but I could never get over that seasonal hump right so in the summertime I would be working late late nights you know just on the on the pro aqua business and then I also had a ski school and and also trying to keep my sponsors happy with the tournaments and photo shoots and it was running me ragged um in the summer times in this in the winter times you know i was i was doing busing tables and running valet you know and, and it was just um it wasn't sustainable right in 92 also what happened was um on the pro tour that year Sea-Doo got the contract for the kneeboard part of that show uh, of those events and now we're kind of going backwards as a kneeboarding competition because you're going from you know small wakes down to a micro small right. wake. I was you know raised on the intercoastal where we'd, we would be behind these big deep V fishing boats with the enormous wakes. I was a big wake guy so going to the sea dew was not an easy transition so I 
I was at a disadvantage right off the bat because there were other guys that were just masterful behind small wakes. Right. And just were. Guys, you just need to load the line up and. Yeah. Edge, angle, loading the line, the technique. They, they were just amazing. Can you drop some of those names? Yeah, absolutely. There were guys like Dave Jennings, Jonathan McDonald, um, Mario Fossa. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm leaving some guys out, but these guys were just incredible behind small wakes. So I would struggle. And. It was, I mean, it was 92, I was in between sponsors, so I'd have to pay my own way into getting into the contest. I'd have to pay my own way to get to the contest. And, uh, you know, all the, it just, you know, it would be a five, $600 weekend. So I'm looking at this contest in Orlando, debating whether I should go or not. I was uh, working through a, a shoulder injury at the time, so I know I'm not 100%. I don't have the money to burn because I just came through a winter time and right. every year would I would go through this financial cycle of, of as I believe many of us in the industry even currently today go oh, through. <laughs> yes. And um you know, and every every year it was the same thing because it wasn't just me I had to take care of. I had a a, a, te- a pro aqua team. Right. So I had to take care of all my 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 athletes. athletes sure. You know, so I had to build all their equipment as well and pay for all that material. So yeah, I was looking at, at you know the I didn't have the financial resources to be going to Orlando, going to a contest that I knew I would a lot of strange things would have to happen for me to pay podium. And to podium would mean I would actually make it a you know a financial gain for myself. So I was not, I wasn't in a good place then. I didn't I didn't wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't fun anymore for me. And of course, I didn't do well at that contest. So, so like as an, as an athlete here, I mean, you've already been you know riding competitively now for over ten years. Um, you've you've dabbled. You've had your foot in the door, industry wise, like business industry wise. Um, so where where are you at right now? I mean, well, that was s- a pivotal contest in my in my my life i mean as an athlete were you still did you still feel like you were progressing or have you do you kind of feel like you're kind of planning off as an athlete or, or where are you at no in the contest i felt stronger than ever I mean, we were still um inventing tricks and getting quicker and and grouping your tricks in sequence better so you can get more in the 20 seconds and you know the the the, the numbers they uh trick scores were going up and up and up so from the moment you you started you know and, and you're mentioning that you're, you're building you're, you're prototyping you're trying to build stuff you know going back to your days you know uh just after hydroslide and into ho and whatnot none of that came to fruition so when how long was it and when did it happen that you actually well that, that was that it board? was it was actually that that tournament and um i was just wrapping up uh, the the third sponsor was kidder so i was just wrapping up and Kidder didn't put money into the pro tour, so it wasn't important to be there. That's why I had to pay my own way. But at that that contest, when I'm meeting Mike Gay and hooking up with Straight Line, I actually moved from Florida, from away from all my friends and family, all the way diagonally to the state of Washington for about a year. Totally out of my element. I mean, I'm just like... The beach guy, flip flops, t-shirts. Right. If a shirt was on my back, you know, um, to 
a cold, dreary part of the the country in the winter times. Of course, at they this, have at this time. This is where all the major manufacturers with our oh everything was happening our, so up there. If you if you are serious about getting into the the shaping um, of a board or, or building of a board, or you truly want it's to make there. it happen, that's where you have, to, you be have there. to be. Yeah. So, I ended up selling Pro Aqua to Straight Line and moving to Washington. And uh, I was up there for about a year. We came up with the, the kneeboard uh, trident, which was groundbreaking back then because the pad was totally different. The shape was spot on. And uh, we did really, really, really well. We had, um, now, the trident was under the straight line umbrella, but it was under a brand called Neptune. Sure. So, which is which I, a lot of our, our wakeboard listeners will uh, remember Neptune wakeboards. Those guys were, were awesome. But before there was Neptune wakeboards, there was Neptune kneeboards, correct? About the same time, we, we started pressing out kneeboards and wakeboards. Okay, gotcha. And we, we started dabbling into the snowboards also. Okay. For a little wow. while. So we were doing the three, and, and, and of course, I was part of the uh, the kneeboard side of things and the bindings and stuff like that. But it was, um, so that was a game changer. That that changed that changed everything because that was, that was my my lifelong dream. So now the, the Neptune board wasn't the first compression board out there, but, but what made, like, that board different than, say, like, the Joker? It was designed, it was designed by a kneeboarder. And how did that change, like, what was going on within the sport at that time? Um, well, you could probably ask anyone from that time that that board, that shape just worked. You know, it was, uh, you could just cut, edge, get a lot of air. I mean, it's, it's just, it was it was designed by a kneeboarder. You know, it, was a, it wasn't a water ski. It wasn't a, a ski kneeboard, you know, a, ski, a knee ski, or it was a, full-on made for kneeboarding so now performance i guess you at this time of your career are you are you still focusing on like being an athlete are you still focused on tournaments um and if so like did this kind of help your performances at all oh yeah oh yeah it was it was just amazing it was a, a jump in, in, in everyone's scores. Everyone's going bigger and better. And it was, um, and then, you know, just everything started coming together. The kneeboard design, the straps, the, and then now the, wakeboard, the wakeboarding is uh, ushered in the bigger wakes. And you're really starting to see some huge airs. Just everything just got bigger and better. Uh, for me, back in, that was now 93, 94, uh, I switched gears and got into uh, the boating side of things. So I started, I went full-time with Malibu Boats, which was a sponsor of mine since 90. Started off with Ski Supreme in the late 80s, and then in 1990 uh, signed on to Malibu. And back then, Malibu was just a, a small little ski boat company, a handful of, of California ski boats that... Um, it, you know, they're just a little speck on in, in the industry. Absolutely. In, 80, in 81, 82. I mean, um, real, I mean I, I 91, like, 92, 93. You can, you can argue, I mean, Malibu really wasn't 
fully on the map until, you know, 94, 95, you know, it was the echelon that started, I feel like uh, for, for that brand, it was the echelon that really started putting that bo that boat on the brand, you know, when the new technologies came out. But, I mean, you're you're a pretty young dude at this time, so you're jumping into, you know, when you get with Malibu, are you a boat rep, or what are you doing with Malibu? Uh, skier in, uh, in 90, mm -hmm. 94, a, a rep for the Southeast. And it was, it was back then. It was an employee-owned company, and it wasn't a very big company. So what happened? But in the interim, what happened with with Straight Line? Because I mean, you you moved all the way to the Pacific Northwest to be with Straight Line. You you design a board that is now changing the industry of kneeboarding in general. Uh, so so you moved back south. I did. That's how that's how I got to Orlando. So I was so homesick. I just didn't Washington wasn't working for me it was just I, I was a Florida Florida boy I just knew I had to get back to Florida but in the business I couldn't go back down to South Florida it had to be Central Florida because Central Florida is where the magazines were all the boat tests I was doing boat tests for you know all the different magazines as being uh, an industry expert everything happened in Central Florida so I, I, I approached Mike and I I, I started asking him what would be the you know, possibility of me doing my job out of Orlando. And I had this whole spreadsheet of the summer of what it took financially to fly out from Washington versus what the same flights were out of Orlando. And it was one third the cost. And I'd be in the in right in the middle of, of right. Water Ski Central. And I had this whole presentation for him, just trying to sell him on the idea of moving back to Florida and still being employed by him. And um, it was just, it, it, it was seconds. And he was like, yep, sounds good. You know, I had this whole presentation trying to sell him on this idea of going to Florida and he's already given, you know, the blessing. And so I'm in Orlando now and loving life. I just love the lakes, the lifestyle. It was just, I thought, you know, it couldn't get better. I mean, this is and this is a great time in the sport too that you're talking about. Wakeboarding is on the rise. You've got some amazing characters like Scott Byerly and you know, you know, Sean Murray, Darren Shapiro. Oh, it's an amazing time, amazing time. And I'm and I'm um, I'm going on on virtually every photo shoot I hear about. I'm I'm saying, hey, you need a driver. I'm there. No, oh, you need you know, you want someone to rope. You know, bring ropes or roll Whether ropes, it's whatever. Boarding, wakeboarding, water skiing, everything you're a part everything, of. Everything, everything, anything I would, because you know, my hobby is is photography. So I'm learning photography and watching and hanging out with guys like Tom King and Doug Duquesne, and, and got really close to both of them uh, as personal friends and just learning like what do they do behind the camera and just just amazing at their the, the level of photography. You know, back then it's just. Right. You know, back then, you, you don't see your photos until after the you develop them and, and physically go through the slides. It was an slides. educated rolling of the dice. <laughs> oh, and these guys made it look easy. Sure. You know, and, and they'd be ripping through these rolls of, of film, and they'd come back with just amazing, magical shots. So, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time back then, just to be in and around that. I didn't think it, life could get any better. And... Um, the Southeast rep for Malibu Boats, uh, he and his wife were planning on having a family. He wanted to be in the factory, Dennis Kelly. And Dennis is like, I don't, I don't want to be on the road anymore. And they asked me, would I be the rep for and the Dennis Southeast? Dennis is still with 
Malibu and, today still designing yes, ski boats. And Joy Kelly, his wife, is, is still competitive skiing yeah. and winning. So it's an amazing story there. That's wow. a, that was a podcast for yeah, you. Go, go hook up with the Kellys. Quick interjection, everyone, is I wanted to take a second to talk to you guys about Wake Responsibly. Now, I know this episode with Ted has been all about kneeboarding, but Wake Responsibly has a message that translates to all towed water sports. Please be mindful of other boaters, riders, kneeboarders, and most importantly, Homeowners, ensure that you're doing your part by educating others to minimize repetitive passes. Keeping your music at reasonable levels goes so far and staying a safe 200 feet away from shorelines and docks will help more than you know. Head over to wakeresponsibly.com, take the Wake Responsibly compliance exam and impress all of your friends. Get a perfect score. It is common sense. They'll even send you guys a sticker free of charge. You can put that in your boat to remind others and maybe even yourself to wake responsibly another way to help is to be proactive and talk to your local boat dealers and community leaders to have wake responsibly signs put up at local boat launches ski clubs and cable parks whether you're a kneeboarder a wakeboarder a water skier a tuber this initiative is something we can all agree on baby let's do it together and now back to teddy b Ted, I didn't, I didn't know you when you were an athlete, but knowing you for, I've known you for 17 years now, and one thing I can say is you are not an ego guy. You never have, and I've never seen it, but, you know, I, I don't know what you were like when you were an athlete, but, like, did it take, did, was it a hit on, I don't know if you had any kind of ego back then, but, you know, sometimes at some point as an athlete, you kind of have to, you know, if you're out there and you're on TV and you're the man, you know, whether you have an ego or not, sometimes you have to play it you have to play the part you know what i mean so was it a hit at all having to to switch switch from that athlete from that i don't uh, i don't really remember i remember more more of just a uh just slowly drifting away just being more busy on one side of the business than the other side of the business i don't i don't really remember a, a drastic moment that things changed sure. um now physically yes that that definitely changed um i remember exactly what happened at you know when when it happened um and that was a physical injury and this is when i mean when i was 35 i felt like i was at the top of my game physically i remember charging the wake as hard as i could and and never even doubting what would happen next because I had the strength, the ability, I could just charge as hard as I could. Um, things changed when I charged on this one day in Lake Weir, and I totally remember it. I mean, just, I, I remember every you remember bit was of the it. Boat? Um, it was, it was this old IO, big, massive IO. I didn't even know the people. They were just, they just came by and offered a ride. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And it was a right to left, aired out this huge back roll right. Thought I would, okay, land and go into an air roll. And just came down flat, and just something in my back just gave way. And um, that was 98. It was 98. It was uh, summer of 98. Uh, it was probably Memorial Day weekend. And uh, one of the Labor Day weekend, one of the two up in Lake Weir and that took me out and 
seriously, that was when things started changing. Because now my body couldn't really take the compression, the twisting and compression. That was when things I could, I could see back then. So I started. It, it physically hit you. Did it mentally hit you also? Um, no, because I still thought no problem until that injury would be reoccurring in, in later months and years. That's so. That was a slow. A, I, I had to realize that slowly. Yeah. After years of going, oh, okay, this is starting to hurt. Oh, I have to take, you know, the, the recovery time was. I mean, you're, you're talking 98, so we're talking, you know, 20 years ago now. Here we are. Um, I, know you're, I know you're still getting out there on the water, but, you know, what, what is it that you, like, what do you do now to get your, your fun, your, those, those moments of exhilaration out there on the water? Because I, I'm guessing at this point, and we obviously you mentioned that you're not kneeboarding nearly as much as you used to. I'm I, I'm guessing if you're designing and and doing prototyping, you can get out there and you're always going to be able to carve a board around and and know exactly and oh, understand yeah. that feeling and oh whatnot. the feeling yeah oh, yeah. But what you probably aren't doing is booting the biggest airs of your life anymore. <laughs> right, right. I I don't, I definitely don't charge the wake. I don't um, I don't go out in the flats anymore. Um, what do you do to uh, what do you do to, to fill those voids or is it not even a thing anymore? Uh, no, surfing still. Watch the, the the forecast and run over the coast when it's happening. But buying the boat, surfing, a little bit of kneeboarding every once in a while. My my buddies get me to go out behind the boat. Like Tom got me. Tom Cole got me out behind the boat a couple months ago, and that felt amazing. What kind of stuff do you do when you uh, when you take that ride behind the boat? Yeah. On a kneeboard? Yep. Not much. Yeah. Are you, <laughs> really just, just carve. You get dizzy at all rail, out there? Rail to rail. I haven't. No, not not lately. Not lately. I want to uh, I want to talk a little bit about where you're at and what's been going on. Uh, I worked at Performance from Performance Ski and Surf in Orlando from 2002 to 2007. You and I had a ton of interactions there. And one of the most exciting interactions I remember was uh, you coming in and you were so stoked and you had this prototype of uh, of a of a kneeboard that you were building um, with O'Brien and I don't know what your relationship was with O'Brien at that point more than just an athlete or whatever but obviously like here we are now today and and uh, you're you're a, a big part of of O'Brien you're a facilitator you facilitate for the team photo shoots uh, I don't know if you do any repping or not but. Uh, but you've helped me out with events, and again, uh, I, I I know last year I was at your house and just happened I showed up and it was a uh, photo shoot day, and I was out here and you were filming it and using your boat and whatnot. Um, I want to talk about the relationship with O'Brien when it started, because now I, I since I worked at Performance, I haven't worked there for over twelve years, and I worked there you know for four years prior to that, and you were you were. Uh, building that that kneeboard with them um tell me tell me about the relationship with o'brien because it obviously what it started with you post your career post your athletic career right yeah that was um it was oh five oh six some yeah something around something i stopped around working that. at performance in oh seven so i mean your board so was already 05. in there I, I remember we had at least i when i worked there i went through two graphics and I believe your first graphic was a two-year graphic, so. Yeah, so I guess it was like 04. Um, and there, too, it was uh, one of those relationships. So Pete Surratt has been a, a good friend of mine. 
we were both reps out on the road going to boat shows and such in the in the, the 90s um and we had a conversation down in Okayili, one of those big tournaments down there and we just got in a boat and just started talking about kneeboards and what what could you know just the vision what what could be in the future in kneeboarding and uh shortly after started working for uh, O'Brien in, in the kneeboard design and came out with the Rush 5150, which was, uh, you know, another step in, in, in kneeboard design when it comes to performance and decreasing drag and increasing surface area. Well, I mean, you, you, you released the board 20, what, 10 years after your first board. So you have 10 years of ideas kind of building up. How many boards did you, how many boards did you design in between that first Neptune and your rush oh dozens dozens i was always tinkering with bondo and and glassing and but how and, many of them actually ended up like being produced were you still involved with a lot of uh, different designs over the years in between no neptune's first rush was second uh sozo so now so that, yeah so, so so you did one with neptune and now you've got what three four boards with with o'brien yes i gotta ask you so in 2019, 2020, where we're at right now, I, I don't see that, and this is, no, again, not a knock against kneeboarding or you guys at all, because I think you guys are really trying your hardest to, to push this, and it's something that's it's fun, it's still cool, and a lot of people are, 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 uh, are buying it, but like at the end of the day, you see industry-wise, there's not the events that there used to be, and there just isn't the support, but one thing that you notice is that e- each and every year, um, like the O'Brien brand continues to support athletes and they continue to put out new models. Um, what does O'Brien see in in kneeboarding that they continue to, to support it? Well, family fun on the water for the entire family, products that, that fit the family. Uh, it's, it's water skiing, will, I think, will always be around. Um, when it comes to events, uh, I think today, versus years past. I think the internet changed everything. Um, but um, I don't know which direction you want to go to, the event side or the, the O'Brien business side? I mean, I, 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 <laughs> I think we kind can... Kind of a two questions. Yeah, there. I think we... I want to get a little bit of both, so we can start with the... Uh, let's just start with the you know event side. On the event side, I think uh, uh, internet was a blessing and a curse. Um, a blessing that... It allowed everyone the same platform to to promote their personal brand. Their, you know, if something was going on in North Carolina, they could promote it and get it on the internet, and everyone would see it around the world. And something going on down, you know, in Louisiana or California, everyone has that same opportunity. Um, on the flip side of that, now it doesn't give um, people that the, the the same, you know, if the pro tours come to town, they've got to see these guys ride. Now they just scroll through the internet, they see all the new tricks virtually, you know, the day after it happens. Yeah, you know, you know they, the, those Corey Tunison fans don't need to meet him in person because they knew what he had for dinner last night and the night yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So on one side, it's really cool to, to be that close to the action because that's how fast social media works. But on the other side where you're trying to have events, 
it takes out that that attraction of you got to go see it. it you, you already you've already seen it. So, and you can draw the same conclusions when it comes to TV. You know, you back then there was two sports channels. You know, now you can get on cable satellite. There's literally you know. Well, and, and, and on that and on that kind of same note, you know, in the old days, you know, you'd you'd, you'd see your favorite superstar on TV, and if they came through town, that's your one opportunity. But now, like you said, going back, you see your favorite superstar on TV, you're stoked. But all you got to do is go on the internet, and type in their name, and you can find fifty things about them. And all of a sudden, seeing them in person isn't, you know. Yeah, it's so as it's a totally different time that we live in. It's totally the internet changed everything. In uh, company wide, though, you know, you said you said the family stuff, and I and I understand that. Like, but I would understand O'Brien just continuing to release an eboard here and there, you know, or whatever new graphics. But you guys are coming out with new technologies, and you guys are supporting these guys that are, you know, this small group of guys that are pushing the limits of what can be done. You know, what where does that where does that come from? Is basically what I'm asking for. You know, I because I think it's very cool that I see on both ends. O'Brien is thinking about, like you said, the family people, but I also see that they haven't forgotten about the core athlete either. Yeah. Well, you know, going back to um, when we started looking into new technologies as a Sozo, uh, that was a a knee board that came out that was a, a different whole different technology of. Um, how it was built, sandwich construction, really coming from the snowboard industry. Uh, and the question was, you know, will we find people out there that would want to buy a $500 kneeboard? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just like so beyond the pos- position of, of, of what a family product would be. Um, but it's not just about selling that one $500 board. It's more of a position uh, in the marketplace as being the best, the first. Um, just gives you that credibility. You know, that one that one product, if you were to excel in, in any segment of, this, of any sport with product development and being the best at it, all your other products have that same credibility of quality and, and performance. And a lot of times in our industry, because of, of the cost of tooling and everything, what was a pro to, a pro board or pro ski one year, you go, you know, fast forward, and that really nice shape is now your recreational your, tooling. Your entry level, right? Right. But the performance is still there. So, you know, who knows what's 10 years from now, you know, what, what it's going to look like. But um, I do know... For us at O'Brien, you know, we want to be the best in, in performance. You know, we want to be top in quality. And we want to have that confidence of that family that's going to spend their weekend on the water to all, all our products. You know, even down to our tubes, you know, it's, as, as little respect that tubes get, uh, you you got to have confidence in O'Brien product getting a tube because we just don't draw out a tube and say, oh, this is going to be cool. We actually design a tube, take it out in the water, and we actually product test our tubes. Yeah. You know how they come out of the water, how easy the boat driver is to 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 control the tube behind the boat. You know, 
can you control it from wake to wake and and you know that's all done but that goes back to that same philosophy is you know quality performance um and just that value you get from from that philosophy well i gotta hand it to you guys because you you do you do look at it and i would say o'brien has done a great job over the years especially the recent years of letting their product do the talking um you guys aren't really in your face um you guys are there you guys do the same thing that you've always promised to do but you go and you look at it listen to the guys who i had on that last episode of the podcast you know john and tom you know you look at some of the guys kneeboarding in the world right now they're all riding o'brien kneeboards look at some of the best wakeboarders in the world both cable side and boat side you know do you want me to drop their names you know max van helvert um cory tunison uh you've got these you know incredible athletes who you know they're letting their product and their actions kind of do the talking and you guys are you guys are consistently sticking with your original values which is all about the family absolutely yeah that's that's what boils it it, it's all directed to the families and those guys you know they're they're amazing athletes um and it's just really cool they have a they have an open communication with chris johnson which is our our lead engineer um the you know those guys communicate all the time and they, they talk about flex patterns and shapes and different core construction and all kinds of crazy stuff that you know just it just makes the the product better and better and better it's not it there's there's not there's not a lag between you know what goes on the water and what goes on in r&d and then what goes out the the back warehouse door it's just there's there's no lag in between there's no well i again i gotta hand it to you guys and and you know o'brien's been a really great um sponsor partner of of the podcast and and it's and honestly I can sit here on the microphone and talk and talk, and I've got a lot of other brands that also support, and I feel very strong that they're all great. But you go and you look at it right now, you know, you, you look at the podiums, amateur and professional across the board when it comes to, to wakeboarding right now. And in the pro men's division, you got Corey Tunison, you know, in the pro women's division, you got Tara. Uh, and, and, and then you start looking at these amateur divisions and look at those podiums, you know what I mean? It, it, the proof is in the photos. You look at those podiums, you're going to see those O'Brien boards. And again, I gotta, I commend you and Ted. And I think a lot of it, you know, the fact that, that you have a, a huge involvement and everything like that. I think that that definitely goes goes a long way. So, um, it's it's authenticity. It's what 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 I'd like to, you know, point out in that that little exchange right there. It's it's they're authentic. All those guys are authentic. You know, we we don't we don't market like some of the other companies might about you know their their you know quality or performance so we just you're right we, we it it's it just shows in in what those guys what we our team well that's and, and again like and and you, whether it's a podium or a recreational saturday on some randoms boat i think the one thing you're going to notice in the mix is the o'brien brand is yeah. somewhere in that mix absolutely you know? so very good, Ted. Uh, on on just 
just one last note here, man. Um, you know, as we move forward, I had the guys in the last episode, Kneeboard Mania. Uh, we are in the mix of it. Those guys are really, really trying hard. Um, is there a chance? Will it come back? What's the future of kneeboarding? Future of kneeboarding? The future is probably in the hands of guys like John and Tom and many others out there. It, it takes... It takes a small village to put on an event, as you well know, because you put on the corn fest up. Oh up yeah, at, yeah. Every summer, it's it's um, it's a lot of work, you know. And, and it'll take. Uh, and I look back in the '80s of what it what it was like back back then. It, it took groups of clubs of people that you know just the interest that stoke to put on the events of the different areas. And it'll take it just take groups of people. It just It'll, it'll happen or, organically. Will it happen again? Do you think kneeboarding will see a resurgence? Are we seeing a resurgence in kneeboarding? Event-wise? I'm not, I mean, just in general. No, just people riding them. I don't know if there was any hard numbers, you know, because now I, I'm on the manufacturing side. I see our numbers of how many are ordered every year. And the numbers don't change. It just keeps, the, the kneeboards just keep going out the back door and, and to the dealers and to the, to all the families on the water so it i don't think kneeboard's gone anywhere i don't think it's going to go you know it, it's it's here to stay i think it's the because of it's it's so such a, a fantastic stepping stone to all other disciplines i think it's always going to be uh, a a cornerstone of of our in, in, industry to me it's like you buy a boat whether no matter what i feel like every boat should have a pair of skis a rope, a kneeboard, a wakeboard, and a wake skate. I feel like and every a, and a tube and a tube, yeah, and a tube. Sometimes you know, so many people get so mad about tubers, but the way I see it is like, look, t today's tuber is, you know, tomorrow's pro water skier because some, you know, I'll give you just an example. Like my brother did not want to ski. He did not want to ski at all. Hey, Dad, maybe if you would have just let him tube, he would have wanted to go behind the boat. You know what I mean? And sometimes that's what it takes. And so. For me growing up, uh, or now as an adult, when I'm with families and they're like, oh, I don't let my kids tube, I don't let my kids kneeboard, I'm always just like, guys, it, why? If, if that's what that kid wants to do to get behind the boat, obviously you're the one who pays for the gas, but who are we to say what is fun or not fun? You know what I mean? It could, it, it could be life-changing. So moral of the story let your kids go tubing <laughs> no i'm just joking guys but <laughs> whatever yeah. it's all all about having some fun right yeah it's That's all about it. having fun ted man thank you so much for just kind of hanging with me and talking with me i don't know how much of this stuff's gonna end up in the 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 actual episode but we've gone over an hour here and it's well it's been a pleasure you've always been a fan it, it just i i've you an icon in the sport, and uh, just really just watch. I just love listening to you and watching <laughs> you out and, and at all the tournaments. Just just been a yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate a you. Little starstruck, actually. <laughs> Come on now, I feel the same way. I appreciate you for all you've done and all you all you continue to do. Um, you know, this is an honor, and also uh, it inspires me to continue moving forward with my career. And I hope that, um, you know, if there's anything that any of the listeners can take out of this at the least, it's it's like you work hard enough and you want it bad enough and you want to be a part of this, 
there there is room no matter which way and Ted you you've proved it because um after this conversation I realized you've explored so many of the different tunnels within our industry you know uh the opportunities you know if if, if you want to be a professional you know whether it's behind the boat or behind the scenes you know it's very cool hey before we go do you do social media not much. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I should, but not much. Yeah, any anywhere people can shoot uh, you a follow or a message or anything like that if they want to get. In. I, I I call it the three S's: uh, social media, shoutouts, and sponsors. So if you want to drop any of the three S's right now. Well, of course, O'Brien. Yeah. All right. Uh, That's kind of I, a mix between a shoutout and a sponsor. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, uh, social media. I I am on Facebook. Do you, do you take followers? People follow you? Not really? Teddy B, we got to See, uh, we got we got John and Tom still sitting over here. We got to get the We got to get the Teddy have... Bevlacqua fan page going. I, I have guys. to fess up. I I I haven't been on my Instagram because I don't remember my password and I never go there anyway, so Yeah. <laughs> well, what, you, I need to figure that one out. Teddy but, Teddy yeah. B, what what is what if he was on there? What is it? Uh Tom, what is, is Insta is Ted Bev. Ted, Ted Bev. That's Ted right, Bev. Ted Bev. So follow him there. Um, oh, no. Now, now you're putting the pressure on. Now I have to figure it out. Yeah, right. You're going to have to get on there. You're going to have to post maybe the photo from this actual yeah. episode. So Ted Bev on uh, Instagram. Ted Bev Lockwell. Facebook. On Facebook. Facebook. You know, it's one of, I'm, I've become one of those dads that post a bunch of pictures of my son. So Facebook is probably 90% of my kid. Yeah, good. <laughs> very, very good. All right. Awesome. Uh, Ted, again. Thank you so well, thank much. You. Yeah. Um, I'm going to uh, recommend that you guys go out and try to find some old video footage of, of Ted. I don't know what's out there or whatever. I'm going to ask Tom and Tom uh, Cole and John Hale to maybe help me find some stuff so people can, can catch some awesome content of you. But a true legend in the sport and uh, st- still making it happen, uh, Ted Bevilacqua, thank you very much, my friend. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, sir. Guys, we'll be right back with just a little bit more right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. And you can dig on that. Oh, 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 yeah. All right, guys. So for over five years now, you've heard me talk all about Deck Marine products and their unbelievable flooring solutions. But did you know they do so much more than that? If you head over to www.cdeck.com, you'll see that they've launched a new collaboration with Grundon's Fishing Apparel to create these awesome new deck sandals made from Cdeck's durable shock absorbent material. These things look awesome, they feel even better. While you're already on the site, why not hit the custom tab and take a look at the interactive Cdeck certified locator map to find the nearest CDEX certified fabricator installer in your area. They have installers all over the world from coast to coast, the United States, all the way to the United Arab Emirates, even over there. So it doesn't matter where you're located, a certified CDEX installer will come to you and create a custom flooring job to your exact specifications. Custom, baby. It doesn't get more convenient than that. It doesn't get more custom than that, my friends. It's time to give your boat what it deserves, and your boat deserves CDEX, and so do you. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano.
All right, everybody, that concludes part two of our two-part Board Mania 2020 special. I can't wait for next year. I want to thank the legendary Ted Bevilacqua. That's Teddy B for inviting me into his home and sharing his time and his stories with us. It was awesome sitting out there on his boat and talking to him and just soaking up the Florida sun and a little wind. Plus the live audience, Tom Cole and John Hale. Thanks, dudes. As far as events, I'll be back in Florida March 12th for the Ron John Surf Shop Beach and Board Fest in Cocoa Beach. I'll be announcing the annual Billabong Rail Jam along with Step Up Productions right there behind the world-famous Ron John Surf Shop right in front of the beach. And as we look to the future, it looks like Twin Lakes Corn Fest is getting closer and closer each and every week and every day. That's right. Mark your calendars for August 14th and 15th out on beautiful Lake Mary in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. There'll be two full days of water skiing, live music, and best of all, bottomless corn that's all you can eat it's all included in the price of admission this is fixing to be the biggest tl corn fest yet i promise that you don't want to miss out so if you're interested in helping out competing or you just want to learn more head over to tlcornfest.com and find out all the info right there Thank you guys all for listening. An enormous thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support. Thanks to SeaDeck Marine Products, Centurion Boats, Active Water Sports, WSIA, Roswell Marine, Boulder Boats, Masterline, O'Brien, Ledwake, Slingshot, Conley, Ronix, Hyperlight, and GoPuck. Behind the scenes, a special thanks to Jane leaving the office, Arthur Shevashevich on copy, and Rich Walsh on the sound thank you teddy b it's kneeboard media brother that's it that's all for me folks just a reminder you can follow me on facebook the golden mike podcast on instagram at dano t mano and the t stands for the you can message me there or at golden mike at noise of the north.com i want to hear from you i want to thank you all for tuning in and listening as always i am the noise of the north i am dano the mano and you can hear me next time right here on the golden mike podcast